We are in Philippians. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Philippians, where are we at? Philippians, where are we? Chapter 3, all right. What verse we end off on? Verse 1? All right. By the way, Wednesday night we just started Proverbs too, so if you can join us Wednesday night. We had our first chapter, it was amazing. You can join us for that. It's going to be an epic time. We need God's wisdom, don't we? Philippians 3 is where we're at. Lord, we thank you so much this morning. Thank you for gathering us together. We trust that the songs, um, the lifting up of our voices, our hearts to you has blessed your heart. We've come to celebrate you, Jesus, to bless you, to honor you, to boast in you. You are our boast. You are everything. We thank you so much for being our shepherd, for how you care for each one of us so wonderfully, so intimately. Thank you for how you cherish each one of us and love us. And, Lord Jesus, for how you nourish us. And We thank you for your word and how you are going to nourish us this morning. We've come to you to learn from you and to experience a fresh work of your spirit within our hearts, our lives. And so we open our hearts to all that you want to do this morning. We thank you for the great things you're going to do for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. All right, so uh, remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to um, the Philippian church, and he's very familiar with them. They're very familiar with him. He planted the church, pastored the church for a while, was involved in their lives. They had a great friendship together, and they were a church that got behind the Apostle Paul, his ministry. They supported the Apostle Paul at least on four occasions, maybe five occasions. They sent uh, love gifts to help Paul along the way. You remember we learned last week about this guy. What was that dude's name again? You guys were here last night, last week? What was his name? Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was the delivery boy, right? Willing to deliver the love gift, to travel um, all this distance, to minister to Paul, to, to communicate the church's love for Paul, their support for Paul. He brought the love gift to them, and he was super grateful for their support. And really, Philippians is a thank you letter to them from Paul. But it's not only a thank you letter, it's also a letter where Paul is trying to stop a division within the church that's about to happen. Remember two gals, they are starting to have some kind of fight together, some kind of issue together, and Paul is trying to make sure that that doesn't divide the church and cause the church to be detonated. And now this morning, it's interesting, Paul's going to change gears again And he's going to kind of, in the middle of this book, he's going to give a warning to the church. And so we'll look at that this morning. And the theme of this book is, what was the theme of this book again? Of joy, of rejoicing. And where's the Apostle Paul writing from? From prison, from jail. He's writing about joy from prison 
And he's teaching us, right, that we can have joy in our lives no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situations, no matter what we're going through, no matter how gnarly, we can have joy in the midst of whatever it is that's going on in our lives. Not only can we, we should have joy. In fact, let's look at what he says. Finally, my brethren, and when Paul says finally, it's kind of like when a pastor says, this is my last point, and he's got like three or four more. Are you laughing because I do that? Is that what it, why? Because <laughs> he says finally, and he's going to say another finally. We still got a whole two chapters left. Finally, my brethren, family, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. And I want to stop just there for a moment because this is, not the, this is not a fine leg. This is the last thing I'm done, you know, over and out good buddy. What it means is, but as for the rest, family, listen. He says, rejoice in the, in the word, the, 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 the Greek word, the verbiage here is continually, habitually, progressively as a lifestyle. Always be rejoicing. And notice what it says, the little phrase, the three-word phrase attached to rejoice in the... In your circumstances, in your situation, in the Lord who works all things together for good. We are to rejoice in the Lord this morning. Again, Paul's been writing about joy and rejoicing quite a bit. And listen, this morning with God, there's always reason to rejoice. No amens for that. Give me one good reason, Pastor. I've been reading the news and... You don't know what I'm going through. How about this? How about this reason? You're not going to hell. Is that not reason enough? That he saved you and me eternally, that we are headed to heaven? That Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you and me, and he's coming back again to receive us to himself, that where he is, there we may be also. That's reason to rejoice this morning. How about are your sins forgiven you? Your sins are forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that he's given you his righteousness as a free gift? That you have the good shepherd to lead and guide you no matter, no matter where you are, you're never alone. No matter what's going on in your life. Do you know that he's working all things together for good in your life? So I'm going to get an amen here somewhere. <laughs> That he who's begun a good work in you is going to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. That's reason to rejoice. No matter what's going on around me, I can rejoice in the Lord. I can say, Lord, thank you. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I know you're working it out. You're working all things together for good. And listen, this is beautiful because, listen, a chronic lack of joy is a bad testimony. Do you guys know that this morning? Walking around like Eeyore. You guys remember Eeyore? If you have kids... Woe is me, you know. There's nothing, there's nothing attractive about that. People look at your life and all you, all you do is it's a woe is you every single day. A chronic lack of joy is a bad testimony. We trust God. We believe he is in control. We just sang about his promises. All of his promises are what? They maybe happen. They could, possibly. Yay and amen. All of his promises are attached to your life. And God is faithful. He's reliable. He's going to keep his promises that he's made to me and to you as well. That's reason to rejoice. I would say this morning, joy is appropriate. Paul's saying, and again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. 
It is a choice we make. I'm going to choose to rejoice in the Lord. There's something good that he's doing or he's going to do. He's done a lot of good stuff. And I know he's going to do something good. And he's going to work it all together for good. And Paul's like, listen, for me, I'm writing the same things over and over. I'm, he's talking about joy over and over. I'm not, he's, like, he's saying here, I'm not just talking to talk. He's saying, for me, look what he says there. He says, these things are not tedious. They're not burdensome. They're not troublesome. They're not meant to irk you or to tick you off or to trigger you. It's what? It's for you. It's safe. This is a safe place to be a person that is rejoicing always. Listen, the joy of the Lord is our strength. If I'm not rejoicing, maybe I'm not experiencing the strength that God wants to give to me. That's what it said in Nehemiah. That's what Nehemiah said. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And then notice now how Paul shifts gears. Look at the next verse with me. I'm going to read down a couple verses. Verse 2. Paul says what? Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Do you guys notice a change there? He's like, rejoice always in the Lord. And then he's like, beware of dogs. And you're kind of like, like what? Like Rottweilers and... You guys ever like get near like a Rottweiler? Uh, isn't it? They, don't they kind of put you on edge a little bit? No, no, pastor. Only, no bad dogs, only bad owners. That's baloney, by the way. Because <laughs> I hear people say, hey, well, I'm... Listen, Paul, Paul is presenting here a legitimate threat to our joy, to their joy and our joy. And so he begins by talking about beware of dogs. And that word beware means constantly be watchful. Guard yourself against, literally, this word dogs, it's not the word in the Greek used for little cute puppies. It's used for scavenging, mangy, gnarly mutts is the word here. And figuratively, it speaks of a spiritual predator who feeds off of others And also, it was a term used, a derogatory term, used by the Jews for the Gentiles. Interesting, right? So Paul begins by saying, beware of dogs. Beware, and we're going to find out who these people are in just a moment. Beware of evil workers. Constantly be watchful. Guard yourself against these evil workers. And by the way, evil workers, it speaks of people who think their job is to make others feel bad. Isn't that interesting? They think their job is to make others feel bad. And they're involved in, I mean, just put the two words together, evil works, evil workers. They're not doing good works, they're doing evil works. And then he says, beware of the mutilation. When you hear mutilation, do you think joy or pain? Right? Paul's talking about a legitimate threat to our joy when you hear mutilation it speaks of pain so constantly beware of constantly guard yourself against those who try to cut you up cut in cut down they preach mutilation you know who he's talking about here do you guys remember who this is what group of people they were called the judy judaizers they were 
they were Jewish believers or, or believers that came out of a Jewish context who were traveling around like mangy mutts following the Apostle Paul, scavenging, and they were saying, it's great you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. But since Jesus was a Jew, you need to be circumcised. And not only that, not only do you need to be circumcised, you need to keep the law too. Does that sound like good news, by the way, to anyone? No way. And in Acts, if you're taking notes, you can look at it later. In Acts chapter 15, the early church called that kind of teaching, that kind of doctrine, that kind of nonsense. They said, that is no good, not at all. Say no to that type of, of, of ministry or sharing. In fact, Paul, we, learned the book of, we went through the book of Ephesians together, didn't we? Paul told us what the church is, didn't he? The church is not, is not Gentiles and Jews. God decided to make one new man out of the two. Brand new. Brand new man. One new man completely. And so these type of people were saying, you need to cut off this. Cut this out of your diet. You can't eat this. You can't eat that. You need to keep the law. You need to keep the Sabbath. You need to do all of that to not only be righteous with God, to attain righteousness, but also to maintain righteousness. There is no joy in that. There is no peace and no rest in that type of trying to relate to God, by the way. Because you're always what? You're always trying to do more. I got to do this. I got to do that. I can't do this. I can't do that. Where's your focus? It's no longer on Jesus. It's on what you can do. And so we're talking about these mutts that followed Paul around, and we still have these types of people today. They're thieves of joy. You will be more spiritual. You'll be closer to God. You'll be made right with God and stay right with God if you do this. And they start to define for you what you need to, what you can watch, what you can't watch, what you can listen to, what you cannot listen to. And they start to say, this is the way you need to live your life. And listen, doesn't the Holy Spirit do a good job already? Doesn't God's word already give us what we need? Yes or no this morning? Yes, of course. And so what they do is they cut you off from a real relationship with the Lord, the source of life. Listen, nothing you do or don't do brings you closer to God. Nothing you do as a Christian, nothing you do or don't do brings you closer to God. Why? Because he chose the closest possible place to be is right in your heart. Are you with me? The Lord, that's a miracle. God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in your heart. You're as close to God as possible. Nothing you do or don't do can make you more or less righteous. Do you know that this morning? When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible said you are justified just as if I'd never sinned at all and God imputed the very righteousness of Jesus Christ to your account and to my account. And we get robes of righteousness. We'll talk about this later. Is your robe better than my robe? Can you make your robe better than someone else's robe? Can you bling it out, make it real fresh and cool? No. We all stand rightly before God because of what Jesus did for us and putting our trust in him. And so mutilating your body and thinking it makes you more right before God is an affront to God. 
who watched his son be mutilated on the cross for us, for our sins. And so there is no mutilation that makes you right before God. No religious effort can improve upon what Jesus has done for us. On the cross, he said, it is finished, paid in full. For we, notice what Paul says in the next verse, verse 3, for we, and Paul includes himself, Paul and the many people that he discipled, the followers of Jesus, including Gentiles who were not circumcised. He's saying, for we are the circumcision. We are the true people of God. And if you are a kid here this morning and don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents. Paul says, we are the true people of God. There's been a cutting away of that old man, the flesh, the carnality, living after the old life, after the old man. There's been a spiritual surgery that happens in our hearts when we give our lives to the Lord. It's supernatural. It's beautiful. So who is the real deal? It isn't the cutting of our bodies that makes us children of God, but there's three things. Look at it with me in verse three, three, three and three right here. Look what it says. Number one, worship God in the in the spirit. And we come into the kingdom, we become children of God by being born again, born of the Spirit. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Correct? We give our lives to the Lord, we, we, become, we become alive spiritually, the Holy Spirit takes residence in us. And that word worship, it's not, it's not the word we normally see like bow down or to kiss in reverence in the Greek. This word means to offer sacred service. Sacred service that is acceptable to the one you're giving it to. And for us, it's Jesus who has qualified us to, to, to serve him, to serve God. Right? We're told in Revelation chapter 1 that is Jesus who's made us priests unto, unto God, unto the Lord. It's him who does that. It's not a fleshly effort. It's not a religious effort. It's simply by our faith and trust in Jesus Christ who's qualified us to serve him. To be in, isn't it amazing that he allows us to serve him? Is it kind of, cool, kind of amazing to you guys? So hallelujah. It's radical. But notice something else here. The Holy Spirit is involved in the process. We serve, we serve God in the Spirit. And when the Spirit is at work, um, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So I would say what we do should look like love, joy. Listen, he's calling these other guys, what does he call them? Dogs. There are not, not a lot of peace around these gnarly dogs, correct? Not a lot of peace and joy around evil workers. Not a lot of love happening, Right? But for us, there should be, when we're serving the Lord, when we're walking with the Lord, that should be flowing from our lives because we're walking in the Spirit, we're living in the Spirit. If your faith doesn't result in joy, maybe you're not in the Spirit. Maybe it's time to say, Lord, would you fill me afresh this morning? Jesus said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Fruit is a result of our connection, our abiding, our, our, our intimacy with Jesus Christ from whom we receive all the nutrients we need to produce this kind of fruit. It's not produced uh, uh, by our flesh or by our own wisdom, our own strength. It's supernatural fruit that grows naturally as we're connected to Jesus Christ. 
And so he says, and that's who we rejoice in. Look at number two, verse three. We rejoice, those who are the true people of God rejoice in Jesus Christ. By the way, that word rejoice, it means to boast or to brag about. And isn't Jesus the one we boast and brag about? That you guys boast in? God's, Jeremiah 9, didn't God say something about our boasting? Let not the rich man boast in his riches. No, let not the strong man boast in his strength. Let not, the, let not the, the, the wise man boast in his wisdom. But he who boasts, boast in this, that he knows and understands me, says the Lord. He should be our boast alone. Our boast isn't keeping all the rules, trying to make ourselves right before God or the good things we've done. Our boast should be in Jesus Christ alone, who he is, what he has done. When we sing, it should be about Jesus. Are you with me? We should be celebrating him, praising him, thanking him, communicating our hearts to him. Lord, you're the one that's awesome. We are celebrating and boasting in you. When we teach the word, when we share the word, we're not the hero of the stories. Jesus is the hero. When we share with others, when God uses our lives, it's not, well, you know what the Lord did through me. Look what the Lord did. Look at how awesome he is. That's celebrate because these guys, the dogs, the mutts, the, the gnarly Rottweilers, it was all about them. Look what we can do. Look what you have to do. You got to cut this off. You got to keep this day. You got to do that. It's all about what I'm doing rather than all what Jesus is doing. Are you with me? This is so crucial. The true people of God. We constantly celebrate him. And look at the last thing. The last thing says no confidence in the what? In the flesh. We're not trusting in our own efforts, our own religious efforts, our own works, our own righteousness, our own goodness, our pedigree, our background, our church membership, our religious affiliation. We're not trusting in any of those things. We're simply trusting in the Lord. The flesh speaks of human empowerment or human origin. It's not about the flesh at all, you guys. It's about Jesus. It's about a work of his spirit and what he does in and through our lives. Listen, legalism is confidence in the flesh. It's I'm trying to keep the rules and I'm trying to tell others they need to keep the rules. And some of those rules and things to do aren't even found in the Bible. They're traditions of men. And they're little things that we come up with in order to make ourselves seem more righteous than someone else. And listen, self-righteousness and legalism kills joy. Yeah. Kills it. Where your relationship is based upon performance and how other people are, are performing. Listen, the result, and you guys know what the result is. The result, we see it in the Pharisees, don't we? Judgmental, critical, sin-sniffing, fault-finding, joyless, prideful people. That's, all, that's what legalism produces. And so why is Paul saying, beware, beware, beware? Is he just saying that kind of just to add something into the letter? Not at all. He was once a Pharisee. He was once a legalist. He was once involved in a religious system and religion. Man's attempts to, to, to please God, man's attempts to be right before God, and what did it produce? We see it in the Pharisees, and he's seeing that happen now within the churches, and he's saying, look out for this. Don't allow this to come into the church. If it's happening, man, get rid of it. Look out. And so 
Man, Paul was so devoted to, to a religious system. And what were those Pharisees doing? They were laying heavy trips on people. They were telling people, they were teaching people to do stuff, and they wouldn't lift one finger themselves to do it. And that's what a legalist does. They tell you to do it. They get on their high horse. But you know what? In reality, they're not doing it themselves. Listen, we are to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit. Listen, we are to do what God tells us to do, correct? Are we to do what God tells us to do? Does does our Father know what's best for us? We are. He tells us what to do. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts and in our lives. He changes us. Do you change yourself? Do you fix yourself up? We don't. It's not our job to be the Holy Spirit. Do you know the Holy Spirit is capable of doing his job? Do you know he's capable of telling us what to do? Do you guys remember when you got, anybody remember when you got saved? I didn't need someone telling me, Mike, you need to clean up your act. You need to stop cursing. You need to stop partying. You need to stop. The Holy Spirit showed me. And then the longer I've walked with the Lord, just junk has fallen off, fallen away. It wasn't someone pointing the finger, a preacher, pastor, person in the congregation saying, you need to fix this. It wasn't Tanya. And although there are times we need to correct one another, right? To help one another, restore such a one to remove a a speck from someone's eye, make sure we remove the two-by-four from our own first to help someone to see clearly. But listen, it's not our job to fix and change people. Are you with me this morning? Because I can struggle with this. And if you are obsessed with telling people what to do, you have a pride issue in your heart. Our focus, because our focus is to be what? We, We read this. Our focus is to be Jesus. He's to be the one we're focusing on. Not on how good or bad you are or how good or bad others are. Our focus is to be on, upon Him. But we so often look at others, don't we? Do you guys ever do that? Get disgusted? Get disappointed? Who's your focus on? Listen, I'm struggling right now with our president, with our government. You can pray for me. Like, I'm, I'm struggling. But, you know, the Lord reminded me this week, you know, and, and I can look at them as despicable and dastardly and evil. Some of the other stuff that's going on. And you know what? I, I was reminded this week that, you know what? God loves them and sent his son to die for them. I can forget that so easily. And go on a rant or go on a, to the Lord, not, not going viral. That causes people to stumble. We're called to do what? We're called to pray for those. Aren't we? Doesn't it say something like that in the book? Pray for those who God's put in authority in our lives. Is that what it says? Right? Paul said that to Timothy. Who was the, who was the king at that? Who was the president at that time? Nero. What did Paul write? He said, put a bumper sticker on the back of your chariot. Nero's a zero. <laughs> Something like that. Is that what he said? Something like that? Pray for the dude. Talk about wickedness. Nero was wicked off the Richter. 
killing Christians, lighting them up on his front porch, burning them on stakes. You want to be the light of the world? We'll impale you and light you up with tar and, with tar and fire. Has that come to your neighborhood yet? And what does Paul say to Timothy? You be praying, and the church needs to be praying for those. Because we are in what kind of a battle? Physical battle? Spiritual, Spiritual battle, which we fight with what kind of weapons? Spiritual. Spiritual battle, we fight with what kind of weapons, gang? Spiritual weapons. He's given us everything we need to fight the good fight of faith. Well, that's my little rant for this morning. Isn't it great Jesus died for that person? <laughs> Look, he goes on. He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, kind of like those guys he mentioned, the dogs, I more so circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless. And then notice verse 7, don't miss this. But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. This is so good this morning. So he says what? Hey, if it were right to have such confidence, I too could have trust in my flesh. I too could have confidence in the things I've done. If any of these others think that they've done well in the flesh or think they can rely on the flesh, he says, you know what he says? This is some sanctified boasting. I, I top them. Paul was way more qualified to be justified by the law more than any of the mutts that he's mentioning. <laughs> he's like, you want to talk righteousness? Check out what I bring to the table. Paul had the pedigree, the background, the bloodline, and the behavior. He lists his credential, credentials, credentials, his credentials. He lists his credentials in verse 5 and 6. Look at who I am. He mentions first the things that he has by birth, right? He says what? He says, circumcised the eighth day. Man, I was circumcised not 20 years later, not 10 years, not 30 years later. On the 12th day, according to Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, I was circumcised at the correct time, according to God's word. Of the stock of Israel, I'm of the nation of Israel. I'm not a, I was not a convert or a proselyte. I'm a descendant of the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, an heir to God's covenants. Of the tribe of Benjamin. And the first king came from what tribe? The first king in Israel's history came from what tribe? Benjamin. His name was Saul. Paul's previous name, what was his name? Formerly, artist formerly known as Saul, right? Hey, I'm, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. Named after the first king. Hebrew of the Hebrews. Hey, although I grew up in Tarsus, I was not a Hellenistic Jew, or, or I was not, I didn't embrace the Greek culture. And then notice Paul goes on. He's like, look at my background, look at my bloodline, and now he continues to flex. Look what he says. In relation to or according to the rules, I was a Pharisee. He was part of that elite sect of Jews. Remember who they were? 
Did they keep? The, did these guys keep the? Did they observe the law outwardly? Down to the most meticulous, minutest detail. Remember when they would tithe? What Jesus said: their herbs and their spices. I don't think it was herbs and spices, but something like that, right? One for God, nine for me. One for God. I mean, think about that. Can you imagine doing your rice tonight like that? We're having we're having arroz con pollo tonight, and we're gonna do that with with the rice. That's they were the separated ones, the meticulous rule keepers concerning zeal. In relation to my enthusiasm for Judaism, my passion, I was so into it. Man, I brought, I persecuted the church, and Paul did that, didn't he? He brought harm to the body of Christ. And it wasn't just some, he, they weren't, the church wasn't some merely an intellectual opponent. He wanted to wipe out Christianity completely. That's how zealous he was, to the point of killing Christians. And then he says, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, in relation to maintaining the rules outwardly, blameless. No one could find fault. Wow. If, there were, if there's anything to brag about in religion, to boast in, Paul's like, look at me. I got the chops. Look at my trophy case here. If we're going to be justified by the law, look at my qualifications. What I achieved, and Paul was super religious, and here's the deal. Religion can destroy your joy and your life. Man's attempts to make himself right with God. And Paul's like, I lived it. I know. And one of the problems is self-righteousness won't get you anywhere in God's kingdom. Do you know that this morning? Even as believers, self-righteousness will get you nowhere in God's kingdom. Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so... Paul's like, I did the religion thing. It can't bring joy. It can't bring righteousness. Listen, constant striving of trying to measure up to some standard does not bring peace and joy. We, you, you and I, this morning, if you're, a, if you're a striver, can I just remind you, Jesus paid it all. He loves you. He's given you his righteousness. You can rest in that. God wants rest for our lives. If you're striving and struggling and trying to, to keep rules and maintain righteousness, listen, you're struggling from covenant confusion. That's old covenant. This is the new covenant. The work is done, paid for in full. Now we just love him and love others and walk with him, follow him, let him lead, let him change us from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul uses accounting terms here. Look at verse 7. All those things that were mine by birth, all those things I achieved, all the wealth. Remember the Pharisees? They, they were wealthy, powerful, position, prominence, popularity. All those things that were once gains to me, they were in the profit column. In my ledger, they were once in the profit column. These I have counted loss. I took the red ink right through them. Boom. Now I see them all as a loss. For what? For Jesus. The only thing in my gain column is Jesus. That's awesome. In the ledger on one side, all that was once gains to Paul counted as loss. Red inked, now in the gain column, one thing written, Jesus. After meeting Jesus, it caused me to reassess who I am 
After meeting Jesus, it caused me to reassess who I am and what matters most to me. Look at verse 8. He goes on. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is such a beautiful passage, isn't it? Paul's like, yet indeed. That means, therefore, really, yes, amen. If you're you're thinking I'm just trying to say something spiritual, Paul's like, I'm not. He's saying, I now esteem everything. I count all things loss. What is far superior, the only thing that really matters is knowing my Lord Jesus personally, to have a relationship with him. Where is Paul, by the way? Where's he at again? Club Med? Where's he at? He's in prison, chained to a soldier. Guess what? He's lost everything. He's got nothing. And there he is. And he's saying, I'm still counting those things today as a loss. I've lost everything. It's for my Lord Jesus. Look what he says in verse 8. For whom I have experienced great, complete, personal loss. Lost. Paul, in fact, lost all things. And he says, but I count them as, what does your Bible say? Rubbish. You know, that's a very kind word for what this means. This is manure. Dung. I count all those things as manure. To me, all of it was and still is a pile of manure, worthless and offensive, so that I might gain Christ. And it's interesting, that word gain means trading, exchanging or trading out what is mediocre for the better. You're trading up. And I think, you know what, it, this causes me to take, make a personal assessment in my life, to take, make a fresh spiritual accounting. What are in the gain, what's in the gain column for me? What's in the loss column for me? How about for you this morning? I'm sharing that because we can be so busy piling up manure. I got some attention there. I'm, don't bother me, Mike. I'm busy piling up manure here. I don't mean to be gross, but that's really, think about what you're investing in right now. Pastor, that's heavy, man. Well, that's what the book says. But here's the cool thing. Listen, here's here's the balance. Here's the grace. You ready for this? You can turn that manure into gold when you're storing up your treasures in heaven. When you make Jesus number one. And say, Lord, all that you've given me, I'll use for your glory. That stuff has no hold on me. Because we can allow our possessions to possess us, can't we? No? Just me? (laughs) 
We can be so concerned with the things of, that are temporal and we miss out on what's most important, the eternal, that we're storing up our treasures in heaven, that we are, Paul's going to say later, to set our mind on things above, to seek the things which are above. Man, you're seeking to make a name here? Listen, that's, you're, you're piling up manure. You're seeking to build your little kingdom here? You're pil- I love you. You're, build, you're piling up manure But you change your focus and say, Lord, I'm doing this for you. This is your business. This is your job. This is your family. This is all yours, Lord. I want to just bless you and please you. Lead and guide me. Lead my life. And he, you know what he'll do? He will. Because <laughs> he's the good shepherd. And Paul goes on and says, my place in Christ alone, connected to Jesus, that's where I want to be found. Not trusting in my own righteousness, by trying to keep rules. What did God say about our own righteousnesses? They're like filthy rags. God says that's gross, nasty. Because as to how filthy rags are, I'm not. I don't want need to go into that. Correct. But Paul says, "I have righteousness, which is simply by trusting in Jesus." This righteousness, look what it says, from God. It's a free gift from God by faith that is simply received by faith. Paul was in Christ. He renounced self-righteousness and rejoiced in God's righteousness. Are you rejoicing in God's righteousness this morning? Isaiah did. Listen to what Isaiah says. If you're taking notes, I've got to read this. It's so good. Isaiah 61.10. He said, Isaiah, this is so awesome. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. It's God who does that. It's the Lord. And it should be reason to say, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I received your righteousness. I stand free and open before you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I want more of you. That's what Paul says in the next verse. I want more of you. I want to know you more. After 30 years, approximately, of walking with Jesus, Paul says, I want to know him more. I, not, I want to know about him. I want to know more doctrine. Because is that what we do? I, I need to know more doctrine, more about Jesus. How about getting to know him? And your doctrine and all the other stuff will fall in line. Is getting to know him more. And then he says, look at this. The power of his resurrection. Let me step back. How do I get to know him more? Spending time with him. Spending time. Including him in everything you do. Do you know that this morning? Do you include Jesus in everything you do? He's with you. Right? But do I include him? Do I talk things over with him? Am I fresh and current with him? That's how you get to know him more. By spending time in the word. Allowing him to minister to your heart. And then Paul's like, I want to experience the power of his resurrection. Paul experienced the power of his resurrection, didn't he? Did he? You guys still with me? Think about all the things that Paul experienced in ministry. He's like, I want to experience more of that. More of God's power. How does that happen in our lives? By stepping out in faith. By obeying the word of God. By taking steps of faith. The fellowship of his sufferings. I didn't hear any amens when that came around. I want to know him more. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Is he almost done? 
Do you know that suffering is what God uses in our lives? Yeah. It's like we're, we're such a anti-suffering culture people, aren't we? I keep, we do whatever it takes to keep from suffering. Give me three of those. Give me some of those. Right? Let's be, can we be honest in church? Don't be lying in church this morning. We try to avoid suffering. But can I just remind us this morning, God uses it all, including suffering, to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. The fellowship of, his, of Christ's sufferings, what did Jesus go through? Just think about it, the sufferings that he went through. Mocked, abandoned by his friends, harassed, hassled, beaten, Think of all he went through. And listen, there are some of us that have gone through that, you're going through that, or you may go through that. And Paul's like, I want to know more of that. Why? Because when I embrace that, guess what? It makes us more like Jesus. It makes us more like Jesus. And so what happens? What makes pain meaningful? Pain could be meaningful. Pastor, come on understanding it is accomplishing something much greater than the pain you're going through. You're being conformed, molded, and shaped to become more like Jesus Christ. There's nothing better to become more like than Jesus. And so we embrace that, being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I think Paul is saying here, however it happens, however I die, I don't care. Whatever way God whatever way God chooses, I'm down with his plan. Why? Because I will live again. Do you know death is not the end of the story for us this morning? The one thing we we've been set free from the fear of that, but the one thing that so creeps into our hearts, the fear of death. If you're saying, no, it doesn't, look at the church. Where is everybody? I can't go to church. Not everybody's masked up. 9 and 11. Well, we have a place just for you on the other side of this wall. We have a special place for you. Where there's social distancing, where there's masks. You can wear your mask for high risk. I may catch something. Do you know that God has your days numbered? I'm not saying tempt God. That's wrong. But we're so fearful that we're missing out on life. In the church, I'm saying, you know what? Not this church. I hear about churches that do this kind of stuff. <laughs> Listen, can I just ask you a question this morning? What defines you as a person? What is most important to you? I read this. What's valuable to you? Who's telling you what is important? Who's telling you what matters most? What's Paul say here? He says, everything that used to define me, everything that I thought was valuable, I wrote it off. I red inked it in place of Jesus alone who he is, what he did, who I am in him is what matters. 
What he says, what he thinks about me is what matters most. That's a place of peace and joy, by the way. Why? Because Jesus defines me. Jesus loves me. He purchased me. He set me free. I'm valuable to him. He loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know. I'm valuable to him. He's the one who's given me his righteousness. My life is in his hands. My times are in his hands. So I'm down, Lord, whatever you want to do. I want to know you more. And Lord, if that means some pain, okay. That means a little pain, all right, I'll embrace it. That means some suffering, okay. Because why? Because Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much. This amazing portion of scripture where you brought us to. And God, I pray that my brothers and sisters would take away those things that have come from your heart. And Lord, that we would continue to grow in those things and walk in the things that you're teaching us. That we would have the same heart that Paul does, Lord. Wanting to know you more. To experience your power more the fellowship of your sufferings. Whatever way, Lord, you choose to use our lives, Lord, we know know the end is that we will be with you, Jesus, for all eternity.